This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. Ben here. Uh, We recorded our show, as per usual, on Friday morning. It was great. It was fun. You're about to listen to it. It's sick. Uh, At that time, they were playing all the games on Saturday and Sunday, and now they're not doing that. Uh, As we've uh, now heard throughout the course of the day on Friday, Browns Raiders has been postponed to Monday, making it a doubleheader, Uh, and then the Eagles-Washington game and the Rams-Seahawks games are both now also on Tuesday. All that broke after we recorded, and so... Uh, Our thoughts on the matchup still apply. The time at which those games occur is slightly different. Regardless, uh, that's the schedules we're looking at this weekend. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome. It is the Friday edition of the Ringer NFL Show. Thank you, as always, for joining us today as we preview the upcoming Sunday and Saturday of NFL games, because we're doing that now. A thing I always forget happens, but yet we got a full weekend of NFL football. I am, as always, your host, Ben Solak, joined by the inimitable Stephen Ruiz and Caitlin Jones. We truly had the the Friday show bowl on Thursday night, which was Chiefs Chargers, probably two teams that we've talked about the most on this show. 34-28, I barely remember the final score. That was an emotional ride. It was very confusing. Caitlin, you were at the game. Firstly, that felt like a defining moment for the Chargers, just in terms of like fans in stadium so number one was that like did that like actually feel like a Chargers home game at first and then number two major takeaways from that game the funny thing is I, I was gonna tweet this like you know the media doesn't want you to know like that was definitely a Chargers right. home game and I was surprised walking up I was like where are all the Chiefs fans at usually there's like a pretty good like portion of the away team in in um, the stadium but yeah no it, it was definitively a Chargers game, and that that was really cool to see for their fan base. That's awesome. Okay, I want to hear though for you coming through the game. That was chaos. What is? Yeah. What can we <laughs> What can we precipitate from that chaos? What can be actually derived from that chaos? Oh man, you're asking me to think about the game. I still haven't even <laughs> like taken it in. It's been right. twelve hours or whatever. I think the Chiefs. You know, the the thing is, they still have that extra gear. Like this is what makes them a championship level team and I think you know the takeaway is you know from the Chargers end of it is that they're not far away like from being at that level and I think you know again the key piece in that is Justin Herbert 
Like, uh, and it was really interesting hearing the Chiefs from Andy Reid down to every single one of the players speak reverently about the Chargers, respectfully about where they're at as, as you know, a franchise. Right. Because, you know, you could talk, you think about their rivalry with the Raiders for the past 15 years. I know they've been kicking their ass, but the Raiders have been trying to assert themselves, right, as being, you know, on par. They've done everything they can, but it hasn't, you know, it hasn't really produced results outside of, I think, a victory, what was it, one or two years ago on the road in Kansas yeah, City. Yeah. They circled the wagons or whatever. Like, other than that, it, it's been completely Kansas City. And the Chargers and Chiefs dynamic is a lot different, again, because of the superstar that they have at quarterback and because of Brandon Staley and, you know, the, between the culture, the players, the talent that they have. The Chargers are going to be, you know, annoying for the Chiefs, even if they have Patrick Mahomes because of Justin Herbert and Brandon Staley. I very much agree. And that, that Raiders-Chargers comparison is really interesting because it felt like for a few years the Raiders were the team that might make that jump. Right. And they had every opportunity, and they pushed the chips in with Gruden, and they were trying to fix the defense, and they kind of a little bit got there last year, and it was like, oh, maybe? And then the Chargers just in one year overtook them, right? And and that's the thing is Chiefs win that game. The series is split now. Chargers-Chiefs one and one both games were decided by like plays with a minute left in the fourth quarter. It, it, it very much feels like this is it. And they were very much positioning it as a like Herbert versus Mahomes. This is the beginning of the story. And I, I, I agree. Like that's how it feels. Yeah. And I, I would say like that chargers thing about the fans, I think that's just the power of having a quarterback like Justin Herbert. I mean, that just like just changes the whole way a fan base thinks about their favorite team. I mean, how can you not be excited about the next decade after watching what Justin Herbert not only did last night, and I know the numbers don't like reflect how good his performance was. I, I think he ended up with a negative EPA, but just watch it. Use your eyes. That's, this is when I implore people to use their eyes. Last night, that was an amazing game by him. Like that touchdown that he threw where he was basically fading away and uh, he pumped it like three times and just threw a dart. And then the laser to Keenan Allen. I don't know how many other quarterbacks even attempt that throw, much less make it. Just an amazing quarterback. The Josh Palmer catch on the the go-ahead drive, and it was tied 21-21 where he's rolling out. And then, but then you also have Mahomes hitting Kelsey on the first on the, on the first and goal touchdown scramble. You have um, there was another. Uh, I mean, that was an open one, but they had the other Travis Kelsey scramble there as well. Like Mahomes down the stretch was making incredible throws. Roger, our boy uh, Roger Sherman for the Ringer, you know, he, he sent the the compulsory tweet, which was like, "Wow, two really good quarterbacks playing in overtime. Good thing we saw one of them." Which, like, yeah, like it kind of would have been really fun to see. But we, we did get that Herbert fourth, the end of the fourth quarter, minute left drive. And, oh, man, if Jared Cook had caught that ball, oh, I would have lost my mind. Um, but, it, it, right, it was two of the best quarterbacks, two of, I think, the best coaches, right? Like, I think Staley's kind of getting up there in that regard. And we should, real quickly, uh, Staley went for five fourth downs. They converted two of them. They failed three fourth downs two of which were inside of the the 10 yard line, a one from the five and one from the one. If they had kicked a field goal in those instances, then they would have had a two possession lead late. But the whole point of those attempts and those decision makings at that time is you don't know that you're going to have that two possession lead late. And obviously it kind of trickles out that that's the case, but Staley and the chargers believe that this approach to attempting fourth downs improves their win probability in the long term. It, 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 raises the number of games they win overall across the course of a season, across the course of multiple seasons. And while there's a lot of blame to be doled around for why the Chargers lost this game, why they failed to execute, the the fourth down decisions own a piece of that 
it's important to remember that when the Chargers beat the Chiefs in week three, they were tied 24-24 with us in a minute left. And from their own 35, 36-yard line, they went for a fourth and nine, got it, and they were able to score six instead of three and subsequently beat the Chiefs in regulation. So there's, there's, as with all things, running and passing, throwing the ball downfield, you know, too high, run high, blitzing, whatever, there are two sides to every coin in the NFL. There are two edges to every sword. Sometimes it just cuts the wrong way. I have no problem with the decision Staley made. It's just this was a really unfortunate uh, stage to catch some fourth down regression, right? Nationally televised against the Chiefs with the division on the line. You would have preferred to like have all the bad fourth downs happen like against the Giants last week, but it happens here and that sucks because everybody sees it and everybody talks about it. Like you just do the basic math, five fourth down conversions. If you kick the field goal every time, assuming the kicker makes it every time, and this is the Chargers we're talking about. We can't make that assumption. That's only 15 points. They went for it twice and got it and ended up scoring touchdowns. That's 14 points. They lost one point if you do the math. And betting one point to get an extra 21 points, that's not a bad trade-off. Like, it's simple math. And if you're arguing against this, you you look ignorant. Like, just watch, look at the where the league is going. It's a dumb argument to make. Stop making these arguments. It's hilarious because we spent the past year and a half, two years, whatever, saying don't kick field goals against the right. Chiefs. And all of a sudden on one night, one night somehow we completely flipped and we're like, nope, ultra specific context. We're like, hindsight's twenty twenty. You shouldn't have been ultra aggressive. And the thing is, like with those decisions too, like real quick, it's like you're you, you even if you go by data, if you're you know going by gut, you know you're not accounting for human error or human exceptionalism. Like there's some players who just make outstanding play, like the Sorensen play, like he read the shit out of that, and that's because again the the Chiefs credit the spags like they were prepared for them going for it on fourth down and stuff you can't account for joshua kelly trying to jump over the pile and fumbling the football <laughs> and then jared cook dropping the football i mean there's just moments where you can't account for that and that's not what the data or even the decision is suggesting i think it's a good process i think it's sound process especially when they've won two or three games like the browns game they won. They've already won two games compared to this one. Mike Williams as well with the third and goal drop on the absolute Herbert flame ball early, which I need to get off my chest. As a man who is very heavily on the Chargers winning last night, the moment Andre Roberts tripped on that opening kickoff return, I knew. I just knew in my heart, in my gizzard, I was like, son, this is not going to go well. Something is going to happen. I thought it was going to be one thing. It's like 85 things that happened, but man. The Chargers, even when the Chargers get a good special teams play. It's a bad one. It's somehow they, they, a bad one. <laughs> they, get a, they, they get a bad special teams play. All right, incredible Thursday night game. Uh, two of the best teams in the AFC. Honestly, very excited uh, to see the Chargers, you know, go through the playoffs now. I feel like they're, they're generally peaking at the right time. And, oh, by the way, right now, 538, likely to win the Super Bowl, 19% Bucks, 18% Chiefs, baby. We are right where we were eight months ago, 10 months ago in the season. Listen. Uh, we're moving on our, our previews for the NFL Sunday. We start as always with games that need games. We have both Saturday and Sunday games, as I said at the top here, and we are opening with a Saturday game. The Saturday evening primetime slot belongs to the new England Patriots who are visiting the Indianapolis Colts. Really, really interesting game. Two teams coming off of a bye. two of the most uh, versatile teams, two of the best running teams, just a, a huge AFC matchup with massive playoff implications from two squads who a month and a half ago nobody would have told you would be here these are like this is a season defining game right now for both squads Kalen this one belongs to you so uh Patriots at Colts what am I expecting what am I looking for are you guys ready for the rebirth of the Colts Patriots rivalry uh star defenders 
good running games, fun tight ends, slot receivers, and elite quarterback play. Not really, but I'm excited to see <laughs> Dante Dante Hightower versus, and you know, I guess the rest of that Patriots front seven going up against Quentin Nelson and the Colts offensive line and, and Jonathan Taylor. I think that's where the game's going to be won and lost. And I think all the rhetoric leading up to it between the uh, quotes in the media that players are given uh, from the Patriots side and even the Colts side, like they understand this game is going to be won within the trenches. And it's really interesting because Hightower specifically, you know, for me, like, and I love our guy QB class, Derek Klassen on Twitter. Uh, he wrote this really cool piece for Football Outsiders detailing how Hightower does a really job slipping gaps or slipping blocks and filling a lot of different gaps and really wreaking havoc. And I'm curious to see how he influences the matchup, specifically going up against Quentin Nelson, who he like gave credit to on uh, during his press conference this week, saying he enjoys watching his Instagram, like watching Nelson lay out uh, opposing defenders and, and pancake blocking guys. But um, really important in that, you know, quietly, Devon Godshaw has been kind of impressive just from you know, the, the few games that I watched leading up to uh, our, our pod this week, uh, he, he's been pretty impressive in terms of controlling the line of scrimmage. And I'm curious to see how, you know, whether he's kind of a difference maker and opens up things for the linebackers and, and you know, the, the rest of the, the defensive line around him. But uh, I'm really curious to see how that one goes out because, again, you have a at least early in the season, a defensive player of the year candidate, Matthew Judon, Devon Godshaw, like I'm saying, Carl Davis has played pretty well, Lawrence Guy. And then again, the Patriots linebackers going up against this Colts running game. I think that that's going to be where the game is won and lost. Right. All right. So, Stephen, X's and O's. Uh, we've been talking a lot about wide zone offenses since Shanahan and McVay became a real big thing, right? 2017 and 2018. And then the Patriots, the playing in this game, uh, walked out with that that six one front, right? That like double eagle front. They walked out with the bear front in that. Super Bowl and held McVay's offense to three points. And so teams started to say, listen, we are going to put a body on the center. We're going to put two bodies between the tackles. We're going to put two guys in the end, five dudes on the line of scrimmage. We are just going to make this play long. We are going to cover up everything and make this outside zone run take a while. Patriots are not doing that. The Colts aren't an outside zone team, but the Patriots are not doing that this year. The Patriots are leaving those B gaps open, right? They're leaving space in that interior because they really trust those linebackers. Dunta High Towers came and brought up, and then uh, Jawan Bentley's the other starter to just be hammers in, in the middle of the field. So you're looking at this Patriots defense. You're the Colts who can pretty much, as we've seen this year, run any scheme under the sun. They have the tight ends, they have the running back, and they have the offensive line to just be whatever they want in the running game. What are you doing on the chalkboard if you're trying to beat this Patriots run defense? I think you're going to see a game similar to the Bucks game from the Colts. And I, it's not going to be uh, – it's not the same front they're facing. Like the Bucks, how they, they play odd fronts. They're not playing like how Ben described. They're not leaving the B gaps open a lot, especially in base defense. And what you saw was a lot of RPO and a lot – which ended up as a lot of passes. And I, I remember the Frank Reich press conference afterwards where he was explaining these were actually run calls, but they ended up being passes because they're RPOs. I think that's how you control an aggressive Patriots front. This what this actually reminds me of the Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Like, I, I, I think Absolutely, the, yeah. The difference is like Belichick doesn't or didn't have the horses to compete with that offensive line the Eagles had in that running game and the RPOs and everything they all the stress they put on defenses. But this time around he does. So you kind of get uh, a, a rematch for Belichick in a way against Frank Reich. And I, I think that's the biggest question. Like how do you balance defending that run game while not giving away the freebies in the pass game 
And I, I honestly think that's what decides the game. And I want to see what Belichick puts out on the field. Because we talk about how Belichick takes away one thing and kind of dares you to beat him with your your left hand. And I wonder what, in his his mind, what is the Colts' left hand? Is it Carson Wentz? It probably is. And I want to see how he kind of like incentivizes the Colts passing the ball more and putting the ball in Wentz's hands. The left hand thing is such a big deal because I, I said this on the Wednesday show, the gambling show, uh, no defense is better at making you win with your left hand than Belichick's. No offense is better at finding your left hand on defense and, and hitting that than the Colts is, right? Frank Reich is is an underappreciated offensive coordinator in the league because he's not an easy coordinator to write about, an easy coordinator to cover or understand. Because it's not like Shanahan, everything is serious football, or McVay, everything is serious football. It's, I could be anything. And so it's very hard to be like, here's why Frank Reich's a, great, because he runs all of these things generally equally, right? That's not as, as, as sexy of like an article, right? So it doesn't get as much run. But Reich's just really good at, all right, we're going to be an 11 personnel RPO team today, right? We're going to be a 13 personnel power run team today, right? And just, just changing things up relative to what he gets, which is why it's really interesting to see. And I think that RPO game is important because we should know uh, uh, inavailabilities are a, a humongous thing this week in the NFL. For the Patriots and the Colts, not too many COVID inavailabilities, but Kyle Duggar uh, is hoping to return off of the COVID-19 list for this game. He is a huge piece of how the, the Patriots defend RPOs because he's their box safety. And Adrian Phillips, he did practice on Tuesday, but he's also not guaranteed for this game. And so the availability of the Patriots' safeties is critical to being able to take away that RPO game the Colts might run. Especially those safeties that are more like safety linebacker hybrids, which Phillips and, and Duggar, that's the role they play. And I, I want to see what kind of fronts Belichick plays. I wonder if he do see more odd fronts because that's been his typical answer against RPO-style teams. He's kind of gone back and forth. But the odd fronts, that's basically his go-to in the past, against the Chiefs at least. And I know this is a different offense. But going back to Frank Reich, I think that's what makes him such a special coach. Is it's not just his ability right. to adapt week to week. It's his ability to do that and throw out different looks. But the offense still feels cohesive week to week. And we've seen – we've complained about other – teams like the Bengals come to mind with Zach Taylor how their their run game and their pass game does isn't really cohesive but Reich Reich has that and those offenses are the ones that give the most challenges to Belichick I've noticed and if you could get a little QB run going too little little Carson Wentz read options that's the thing he has in his bag <laughs> we're, we're fully there uh so let's let's flip the side of the ball here Kalen uh Patriots offense who's been Ripping and roaring. Mac Jones is your is your clear runaway favorite for offensive rookie of the year. Passing games been working well. They got a two headed backfield. Uh, here comes the Colts defense, which very quietly like a, a defense that just kind of sat in cover two zone and just would get diced up by some dudes. Playing a lot more match this year. Playing a lot more aggressively this year. Kind of evolving here a little bit. Uh, are we expecting run or pass heavy script? And how are we expecting the Patriots get into their shots? Is this a situation where they can outscore the Colts if they need to? Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to outscore them. I, I bet that they're going to continue leaning on their running game. But again, I, I think this is an opportunity for, like you said, we've seen previous quarterbacks have success through the air. And I trust Josh McDaniels and Mac Jones, you know, them being able to find not necessarily your left hand on defense, but they do a really good job of manipulating, getting guys open underneath and in space. And I'm very curious to see like how they utilize Bourne, um, how to utilize some of those slot receivers, you know, within, you know, first five to 10 yards where Mac has been pretty good. So if he comes correct, then I could see them leaning on the passing game. I don't expect this game to be high scoring, but Mac, you know, this won't be a Buffalo Bills game where he's only throwing, you know, three times 
in a storm, he should have a pretty solid game. It's just it, he can't make any mistakes, right, yeah, yeah. and you're you're probably you know praying that you know you're you're able to get into your running back stable, which you know depending on the health of I think Damian Harris and, and Ramon De Stevenson, JJ Taylor, like all those guys, like if you can lean on them to really carry you know, everything for the offense like they have in recent weeks, then you should be all right. I just re-realized it's a Josh McDaniels revenge game. Ex-head coach, yeah. ex head coach of the offensive <laughs> Colts, Josh day. McDaniels. Wait, does it count as a revenge game for him or for the Colts? Right, Colts, Colts revenge game, maybe? I don't know. Colts revenge uh, game. Right, yeah. but it'd be like, it'd be like, it's like a Jim Irsay revenge game. It's like an ownership revenge game, which doesn't really work as much because you don't really do anything on Sundays. I guess like you built the team all together. But I know I agree, like, the more we're talking about this game, the more I'm just like, wow, just smart coaches versus smart coaches versus smart coaches versus Matt Eberflus, who's I think is becoming a smarter coach. And I like what he's doing more and more this year. I don't mean to like kill Matt Eberflus. Just like, you know, like we have really some, some pioneer guys in terms of coaching a week to week, coaching Monday to Saturday. Right. And, and figuring out what it is that they want to get into, which is why like results wise, this game's going to be very interesting for me, but process wise is going to be a lot more interesting, especially when we're like, heat checking the Colts in terms of their playoff run and obviously trying to figure out if, if the AFC is going to contend. Uh, Colts are two and a half point favorite. I think that's appropriate. I give them a light edge in this game. I think that the, the Colts, I think it's close and I think it might be a coin flip situation and I'm generally picking the Colts in that spot. The, the one thing you're really just worried about is to what, how many Wentz plays are we getting? Right. And that's, and when are we getting them? Right. If it's a dumb strip sack with five minutes left in the second quarter, we can recover from that. It's five minutes left in the fourth quarter, a little bit more difficult. And, and, and that's 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 the scary thing about having Wentz back there at quarterback. But in general, uh, I like the Colts as a small favorite. I get why they're there. So I'm taking the Colts. But to me, this is going to be a really close game. And like I say, I think it's going to be a lot more we learn in terms of the process and how what both teams decide to do as opposed to who actually wins. Yeah, I'm going with the Colts, too. I favor them slightly. I think Everflus's defense, I'm not a big fan of it, or at least the iterations we've seen in the past, but I do think it's disciplined, and I don't think they're going to be taken advantage of in that regard, which the Patriots have been doing a lot this year. And I think they're going to be able to force Mac Jones to go on long drives and see if he can do it. And I'm just going to go with the Colts. I think it's an evenly matched game. I wouldn't be surprised if either team wins, but I'll give them the slight edge because of Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised uh, either way. But I, and I could totally see the Colts doing that thing where you know they jump out ahead and you have an advantage. But the problem is Carson Wentz. They kind of lean a little bit on him too much. And if they lean on Jonathan Taylor, who you know we've already I, at least I've said is like the best running back in the league currently. No Derrick Henry around. I could see them holding on, but I, I just trust Belichick he, and McDaniel's. They're they're the masterminds of adjustments, especially in game. So I, I'm going to take the Patriots. I am really, really really hoping for a good Jonathan Taylor game and a Colts win. But man, if that leads to like a, and this is why Frank Reich should have ran the ball more against the Bucks. I Patriots, please win. I don't want to deal with that narrative. So as long as you can promise me, we don't get that. Uh, I'd like to see JT run it all over this Patriots defense. Uh, our second game of the week is an actual Sunday game uh, as the good Lord intended. That is Ravens at Packers, uh, which belongs to you, Steven. Obviously the big news at the top, is the availability of Lamar Jackson. Uh, the most recent update for him is that he was limited again on Friday practice. Uh, so he has missed practice. He has been limited in practice every single day this week. Uh, and accordingly, the, the projection for him, Greg Roman gave this on Thursday, is that it's going to come, quote, down to the wire, right? Like as game time of a decision as a game time decision gets. We've obviously seen some decent play from Tyler Huntley here, but the Ravens extremely banged up in a very competitive AFC North 
uh, hosting a Green Bay Packers team that's extremely good. So my question for you is, if we get like 75% Lamar gutting it out and playing in this game, do the Ravens have a chance? I don't think they have a chance. I, especially if Lamar is, is limited, which it appears that he's definitely going to be limited even if he does play. I think the one way that the Ravens would be able to get the, the Packers defense out of the stuff they typically do is if Lamar was scrambling because they do leave open a lot of areas for scrambles because they do match a lot of of patterns, which it's the reason why you don't play man against scrambling quarterbacks is because the, the defensive backs have to turn their back to the pocket and then no one's there to track the quarterback. You get the same kind of effect when you're running these match coverages, which the Packers have done so well over the last month or so. And that was that was my only like point of optimism for this Ravens offense because there's no other reason to be excited about it. I wrote about it this week. If you want my extended thoughts, you can go on the site. But basically, I, I feel like Greg Roman makes this team so much easier to defend because he eliminates so many vertical threats for the defense before the snap, which with how they line up in their formations, how they use pre-snap motion, and going up against a team like the Packers – who kind of sell out to stop deeper passes. I think it just makes it so much easier for them not to have to worry about that and to be able to focus on the run game. And if you shut down this Ravens run game right now, especially if it's Tyler Huntley playing quarterback, I don't understand how they move the ball at all. Yeah, the the point on matching and how you pulls your eyes away from the quarterback is really critical because I think match coverage is very cool, but also you got to get eyes on receivers. And as the Chargers found out against Mahomes late in the game last night, Sometimes that's bad because then there's a lot of open space uh, and quarterbacks can get out of the pocket before your secondary realizes it. Uh, in general, if we are in a position where, and we've kind of talked about this before, Stephen, Huntley plays, Ravens offense is bad, Lamar gets out there for the remainder of their schedule. They've got two, I think, two AFC North games left on their docket, and this continues to look the same way. Do you believe the Ravens are going to have enough proof of concept enough data that they're going to move on from greg roman or is this just something we like to talk about in theory that's probably never actually going to happen i I don't know i hope so i i think we've seen uh john harbaugh move on from offensive coordinators that weren't working he's done it many times he moved on from marty morningweg to go to greg roman and kind of usher in this new era of lamar uh, lamar centric offense when they won the Super Bowl last, they uh, fired cam cameron i forget what week it was but it was like november october it was it was later in the year brought in uh, Jim Caldwell, and he led them to a Super Bowl. So I think he knows that it's not the end of the world if we have to, like, redesign the offense on the fly and we have to, you know, deviate from what we were doing. And it seems like Harbaugh, when presented with evidence, is willing to accept it. That's why he's embraced analytics so much over the last decade or so. I I really have enough faith faith in him to not be stubborn and not stick with this, this offense that clearly isn't working in – It's working in a way – it's not like the Chiefs' offense where defenses are throwing this new style of defense at them and they haven't been able to adjust in the middle of the season. They're kind of starting to adjust. The Ravens have been facing the same style of defenses since that playoff loss to the Titans, and there's been no adjustment whatsoever. It wasn't the same exact game plan that the Dolphins threw out at them a couple weeks ago when they really stifled them with cover zero, but the idea was the same. Like, load up the box – dare them to beat you over the top and pressure Lamar into making decisions quickly, take away the run game, take away the space in the run game. And that's the same general strategy. All of the defenses that have had success against the team have gone to over the last two and a half years. I don't know how you reconcile that 
with keeping Greg Roman around. I have a f- continued frustration with how the Ravens have failed to deal with their wide receiver room and the and the, the talent they've failed to bring in and the improvements they've had there. But the longer it goes, the more I'm trying to figure out what's the chicken and what's the egg here because it's like, all right, you know, they draft Marquise Brown in the first round. They signed Sammy Watkins, who, like, Sammy isn't, you know, everything he was drafted to be, but Sammy's, like, been a good player, like a consistent player. They drafted Rashad Bateman in the first round. They drafted Devin DuVernay in the third round. They drafted Tylen Wallace in the third round. They drafted Miles Boykin in the third round. There's been a lot of investment, and none of these players have, like, gotten better here. You know what I mean? Like, that 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 was something that late in the Doug Peterson era Eagles, I kind of realized, and, like, you, you can miss it at times. So you're like, all right. The drafting wasn't great in Philly, but also like none of these players have improved. Like there's been no development. Like they're they're having a trouble they're having trouble getting young players get the ball rolling down the hill and then the kind of their momentum takes over and they get better. Like Marquise Brown walked in and just has been what he has been for a while, right? You can even make like put Mark Andrews in there a little bit as well. Like he kind of hit the ground running and he stayed at that pace. And then for their day two picks, which historically the Ravens have done like a great job developing day two picks at other positions at wide receiver. They just can't seem to get a plane off the ground on any of these young guys. And it's like, all right, at some point, statistically, one of these pass catchers should have worked and they aren't. And now I'm starting to wonder the degree to which that's not bad drafting or unlucky drafting. That's the designer and the, and the positions coach can't get guys in a position to succeed they can't figure out how to get guys in the right spots and they can't figure out how to maximize them and they can't figure out what's wrong with them and when that's your situation when you're failing to develop to me that's where you really have to look at a change in the coaching staff because you're just burning picks at that point you may be making the right picks you're still not getting out of them what you should because you can't develop them and i don't even think it's like a, a development thing i think it's the offense just makes it very hard to play receiver in that system and I know Mm -hmm. in the past people have kind of put that on Lamar and have questioned if maybe the Ravens would have trouble recruiting free agent receivers because Lamar is such a a different style of quarterback and doesn't throw the ball as much as other quarterbacks but honestly it's not Lamar it's not a Lamar thing we saw this earlier in the year when Lamar was asked to throw downfield he had no trouble doing it it was the best we've ever seen of Lamar it's this offense that they do so much in the run game but it and it's cool and it's fun to watch and when it works it really works but it comes at a cost in the passing game. Like to have Patrick Ricard out on the field means you can't have that slot receiver out on the field. To have multiple guys in the backfield right. means I can't run certain concepts. The defense only has to wor- worry about certain concepts. If Hollywood Brown is running jet motion, guess what? I don't worry about him running a deep crossing route anymore. That makes calling defense a lot easier if he's, he's behind the line of scrimmage at the start of the snap. And my thing is when you have Lamar – you don't have to do all that cool stuff in the run game. You have Lamar. Lamar is the cool stuff on his own. You don't need that extra scheme stuff. Yeah, you right. need that in the pass game. And yeah, that's a good point. I just want a fully fleshed out pass game and see Lamar in it. He did his pass game at Louisville under Petrino was way more complex than this. There was route conversions. Receivers adjusted to routes based on the coverages. They were spreading things out. I mean, they're trying to adjust for it Belgium to coverage in Baltimore. They just do a really bad job, and Lamar throws picks accordingly. Yeah, they're just not very good at it. The details are terrible, and, like, the spacing of routes is terrible. They don't even have a screen game. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but go look up how often Lamar runs screens. It's all receiver screens. There's no, like, running back screen game, and it's not a Lamar thing because it goes back to Buffalo when Greg Roman was there. It goes back to San Francisco when Roman was there. This guy does not have a pro-style passing game. I don't know how he's made it this long in the league without having one, but we've seen this happen in San Francisco where the offense starts out great, teams adjust, he can't adjust to their adjustment. 
happened in Buffalo. Tyrod was great. The run game was great early on. They couldn't adjust after teams addressed it. And now it's happening in Baltimore. There's a common denominator here. It's not Lamar Jackson. It's not the receiving room. It's Greg Roman. Get rid of him. Real quick, I do want to get a Packers angle in here. Uh, I think we all think the Packers are going to win this. Uh, So we have the Lamar injury. We have Tristan Colton Castillo and Chuck Clark, the starting safety on the COVID list for the Ravens. The Packers have Kenny Clark on the COVID list. And uh, Mercedes Lewis, the tight end for the Packers, was asked today, Kalen, about what he's kind of doing COVID-wise in terms of of the increased awareness. And he he said, I love this quote, my circle is a dot. Right. Instead of saying like the like the circle of people that he's like, you know, like by close contact, it's a dot. Like I'm not talking to anybody. I don't see anybody. Uh, the Packers are in a dog tight race uh, for the, the first overall seed here. If you go for 538 uh, potential to make the first round by the Buccaneers are at 39 percent at 10 and three. The Packers are at 45 percent at 10 and three. They are the only two dogs in the race for the number one seed. And listen, the difference between getting the first round by where there's only one is massive. Also, the difference between forcing home games between Green Bay and Tampa Bay is massive. So for you, and I've been talking about this a little bit with like gambling and whatnot, if you're a if you're a known playoff team like the Packers are, and you know how important a first round buy is to you, but you also know kind of how critical COVID health is going to be down the stretch, how do you modulate what you're doing in the building over the next month? Are you still saying full bore, full mass, we are as many meetings as we can. We're going full practices because we're trying to win these games and secure the first round by, or are you trying to do what the Rams have done, which is scale things back, cut down on the contact, go back to virtual meetings and just make sure for the long run, you're one of the healthier teams in terms of COVID protocols. Well, I mean, it's, it's a good question. I mean, going back to Mercedes Lewis, it makes sense. He's, you know, doing his own thing. Cause he's a hundred years old. I don't know who he has <laughs> anything in re- like relation to other than Aaron Rodgers on that team. Um, <laughs> like that being said, I mean, the reason why the Rams are scared, back is because you know they've had their outbreak already right like there's whatever you know was it 25 guys 15 guys i forget the number um regardless like they've scaled everything back because of the outbreak like subsequently i think it would make sense to be proactive to you know kind of scale everything back but at the same time like you know and again cliche emotions all this other shit like that like camaraderie matters being able to go into the office like go battle on the field whatever like all of that matters we've seen Aaron Rodgers you know not be at practice or whatever and then pop back in and then play at a high level because again he's like that's exceptionalism like he is one of one he's one of the best quarterbacks of all time I don't expect that to be the same for everybody else and I mean to me it makes sense to scale back like you're saying in terms of modulating everything but at the same time, like I, I understand why teams would be okay with you know go, you know continuing routine, 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 because again, like securing that number one seed is the most important thing that Green Bay can do. Like that home field advantage, it there. I think that's probably the best you know thing that a team can have going into the postseason. Like I legitimately, from a gambling perspective, a. NFC Championship game, Bucks versus Packers. The point swing between Green Bay in January and Tampa Bay January is at least three points, if not more, which for this modern era of how much home field matters is crazy. So Packers uh, schedule coming up. They have this Ravens game in Baltimore. Then they are uh, home against the Browns, home against the Vikings, who they did lose to earlier this year, and then at the Lions. This team should be 14-3 and three if, if they handle their business. They just have to stay healthy and pray that the Bucks drop one to the Saints who they play this week. That NFC one seed race is crazy. Uh, 
I'm taking the Packers in this one. The line opened at like three and it's now at six because of the health situation. Uh, whether it's limited Lamar or Tyler Huntley, I think the Packers are just too good. Yeah, I'm taking the Packers too. I don't even think this one's close, even if Lamar plays. just I think the Packers are better on both sides of the ball. And shout out to Joe Barry. I, I'm taking everything I said about you back from the offseason. I was wrong. You've done a great job. I think you've done the – I think of the uh, Staley-Fangio offshoots, he, the Packers – yeah. look most like that Rams team last year. They don't have the star power, and I think that's been the big difference. Although they do get Jair back, which I think changes how, what kind of coverages they can call right. by isolating them on the back end of three-by-one. three, three by one. I think that changes a lot for them. But so far, the way they're trending, I think by the time the playoffs roll around, they could look a lot like that Rams defense did last year. Yeah, I'm taking the Packers too. Um, too much, too healthy, and again, if Lamar's not 100%, they have no shot. Let's also not forget Jair Alexander coming back soon. There's a chance that Zadarius Smith also comes back this season. And Smith himself said, like, it'll take me a little bit to get warmed up. But imagine, like, no tread on his tires, Zadarius Smith, starting in the divisional round. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) I I would like to see it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, we move on. Games Between Games, which is our second segment of the show, in which we talk about the other interesting games from the weekend, uh, just in quicker and a little bit more different ways. We start, as always, uh, with Steven canceling a team for us. Uh, now, please, uh, I have you down for Vikings at Bears, which is our Monday night football game. Who would you like to cancel? I don't know how we've gotten this far into the season without me canceling Matt Nagy, but he's he's been canceled now. Me, I, I feel like <laughs> the rest of the country already canceled him, like, several times throughout this season. I will say this. I kind of feel bad canceling him because I watched that Packers game, and I thought he actually did a pretty good job of, like, calling – or the route designs yeah. made sense against the coverages the Packers were calling, but it's just the execution wasn't that great all the time. But, yeah, I've seen talk about the Bears moving on and who they should hire and hiring Sean Payton. Let me just get that out of the way. They're not, Sean Payton is not leaving for Chicago, and if he does, then I, I'm going to look like an idiot for saying this over the air, but I – I feel confident saying he's not. But my question to you guys is who would be the perfect coach for Justin Fields? I think I would assume Solak has some thoughts on this, given the fact that he had been railing against Nagy and what kind of offense he put in Fields earlier in the year. Yeah, so I was more gung-ho on the Brian Dable thing then. Uh, I've kind of cooled off on Brian Dable a little bit this year just because of the difficulties that they've had kind of figuring out some of the issues that they've been shown. Um, and I think Fields is a different passer than Allen, so that that gets them out of some of them. But, like, when Dable runs the Jalen Hurts Alabama playbook for Josh Allen, I see that and I go, that's what I want for Fields, 
right? Where it's like we're using him QB run, but we're not going like the Ravens do, where it's like 21, 22 personnel, and we're having to stop. It's like we're going spread, and then we're letting our 235-pound quarterback be a linebacker, right? And I get the health concerns there. But in general, like that's the optimal usage for Fields because Dable also knows how to do like the play action stuff and the McVay stuff. Like he was doing that a lot in 2019. Allen, they were going condensed sets and jet motion and hitting the cross and whatever. And that that's what you got to do for Fields. So I still think Dable is one of the most interesting and exciting names there. Uh, I think that's the case. I do want to say canceling Matt Nagy the week that all three of his coordinators are out on the COVID list is just horrendous. <laughs> who's who's coaching? <laughs> Who, who's in charge, man? Uh, it is a John D. Filippo revenge game. He gets the Vikings uh, after they fired him for passing the ball too much the one year he was their offensive and, uh, Well, and part of that, not only are the coordinators missing, but going up against Mike Zimmer against a rookie quarterback, like I feel very confident about this. And a, and a line that, that doesn't know how to set a protection, right? Like they don't know who to block. This is going to be very ugly. Like third down is going to be a battlefield for Chicago. It's going to be hell for them. Who you want to see Coach Fields, Kalen? I'm trying to think about it, man. Like, it, I, I think you need someone from that Shanahan tree, like you're saying. You know, someone who really relies on that wide zone, play-action-style offense, because that's where field strength is. I mean, I, I was thinking about Biennemi just because I was like, man, like, it, it'd be cool to see him in that spread often. But again, I think it's a little bit of a different type of offense. I think we've seen them do a lot more RPOs and stuff like that this season. The quick game isn't. Justin Fields thing so I I don't know it, I, I'm very curious like to see like who they who they end up going with but you know so someone who gives who leans into his strengths Nagy didn't really do that you know through the first half of the season really you know kind of stubbornly against it but I don't know someone someone that'd be fun maybe like Kellen Moore Kellen's another one just because I'm, I'm confident in Moore's ability to do a smart thing as opposed to being like oh the scheme works right it's like I'm confident that Moore like we'll figure out what should be done relative to what should not be done. Here's my pick. And I don't know if he's, a, I don't think he's a head coaching candidate or anything, but I'd like to see him in Scott Turner's offense. Yeah. Right. Then Cam Newton. Yeah. 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 That Cam Newton type of offense, put him in that. Yeah. That, that was the, that was one of the comps that I liked for fields coming out. Was that like, I love that comp. Yeah. 0.9 cam. You know what I mean? Mm. It's a little bit, a little bit of baby cam sort of an angle. Baby cam. Yep. Yeah. Vikings bears Monday night football. There's no way that game isn't hilarious and also stinky. We move on. It is Raiders at Browns, which is the other Saturday game real quick. Uh, let's see if I can do all of the Browns COVID in availabilities. Oh wait, this list isn't even comprehensive. There's more. I'm gonna say, let's see if I can read off all the Browns COVID in availabilities in one breath. All right, here we go. Head coach Kevin Stefanski, acting running back coach Ryan Cordell, quarterback Baker Mayfield, wide receiver Jarvis Landry, corner Troy Hill, defensive tackle Malik McDowell, defensive end Ifedio Denigbo, safety John Johnson, tight end Austin Hooper, tight end Ross Travis, tackle Jedrick Wills, guard Wyatt Teller, guard Drew Forbes, defensive end Tack McKinley, wide receiver JoJo Natson, safety Ronnie Harrison, quarterback Case Keenum. Also, Mike Roffo reports that safety Grant Delpit, defensive back AJ Green, and linebacker Jacob Phillips are also COVID positive. And Kareem Hahn is an ankle injury. Listen, there are no Browns players. There isn't a team, and they still have to play on Saturday. The line has moved legitimately 10 points since open. Uh, this is timeline therapy. Caitlin, take us away. Dude, the way you read that, it felt like I took a drug. I don't know what side effects you were reading off, but... I have every single one. <laughs> I didn't know if you were reading the the COVID list or like that Browns quarterback jersey with all the names. Right. Listed on. <laughs> it goes all the way down, right? Like every quarterback ever. Um, this was from Josina Anderson, who said a Brown source told her, uh, quote, I really don't know how we're being asked to play this game Saturday. Derek Carr might eat us alive. Um, like you said, Ben, there's over 20 players for the Browns, or at least 20 players as of, of Thursday who were on the COVID-19 list, which – 
is absolutely insane. And I think this line actually opened up with the Browns favored by six, if yeah. I remember correctly. And now I, I don't know what it is currently. Raiders favored by like three and a half to four. Yeah. Which is generous. I mean, or, I'm generous in, in favor of the Browns, I guess, because, you know, if they don't have a lot of these guys out there, I, I just let me flip this back to Derek Carr, because that's where I really want to go with this. Like if the Raiders are not able to win this game against a depleted Browns team who I don't even know who they're going to starting at quarterback if Keenum can't play. Is it um, Nick Mullins? Nick Mullins game, former Eagle. Yes, let's go, baby. They, they might need to blow it up in the offseason, which that's kind of a bigger discussion, but the Raiders need – this is kind of – I'm putting the Raiders on must-win watch simultaneously here if, in order – like they need to beat the Browns this week. There's no excuse. You, you put them on must-win watch and you threaten to cancel Derek Carr if, uh, <laughs> if they lose. That was a double whammy. My ears A lot of copyright infringement. My my ears perked up when I heard that. No, I I I uh, endorse that. I like it. I encourage it. I am surprised that this game is still going to be played, especially because like, I it's it's the only game, man. Like everybody's watching this. It's in the spotlight. Yeah, and I I don't know if it's like uh, you know, we're not gonna let you off the hook for like making COVID mistakes, but also like. NBA is dealing with a lot of it. Like a bunch of NFL teams are dealing with a lot of it. I don't really get the, the yeah. whole country's dealing with it. It's not like the Browns failed in some way. Like we as a country failed and that's why the Browns don't have anybody. So I'm surprised the Browns are playing. Uh, there are other teams that are playing also against ridiculous odds. And we're going to get to those guys in a second as it is uh, the saints and the Buccaneers play on Sunday night football, a game that I uh, alluded to earlier. This is in Tampa Bay saints already won up uh, in the series. They won with Trevor Simeon. Remember that? Remember when that was a yeah, thing yeah. I want to say about two months ago. And now this is a critical game for the bucks. As I brought up, if we go to the 538 playoff predictor, uh, the bucks right now are 39% to get that first round by. If they win this game, they make the playoffs and they win their division period full stop. They become 46% uh, to get that first round by. And it's just them and the Packers running all the way through the rest of this week. Uh, it's Taysom Hill this time, and this is my buying or selling for this game. Uh, the Saints don't have a clear quarterback solution. Taysom just got extended, and now he gets the Bucks. And if they beat the Bucks, they knock them out of the first overall seed, and they also do a great job securing their position for the wildcard round. And I think if Taysom Hill beats the Bucks, we're going to do the whole Taysom Hill fights for the starting job in camp in 2022 again even with how Jameis Winston played, because I think the Bucs have trouble with QB run, and I think that that's what Taysom does well, and I think Alvin Kamara is back, and I think that they can just kind of nickel and dime their way down the field, very similar to how they've beaten the Bucs before. Um, I'm extremely worried that this game becomes the launch pad to having to take Taysom Hill seriously for yet another offseason. I'm selling it, just for my own my <laughs> own well mental well-being. But honestly, I don't think it's going to happen just because – I know, like, Taysom is good at quarterback run in theory, but when you actually look at his production on these runs, he's actually, like, not that good at it compared to other people. It's just the only thing he is good at, so we hold it up as the thing he's good at. I don't know. And maybe I'm just conflating his scrambling stats with his quarterback design runs. Yeah, that's the thing is they scr they, they scramble with him more and design run with him less yeah. than I think they should it's or so I think weird. a lot of people realize. Yeah, he's really good on design run because he's a fullback. Yeah, he's a full I, like when they do like the sweeps and stuff, but like yeah. zone read, he's not that great at just because he's not. I don't. He's a fast athlete, but I don't think he accelerates well just because of how big he is. So it takes him a little while to get uh, his, that speed going and get up to his top speed, which is why he's not that great at scrambling. Why he takes a lot of sacks because he he's not good at uh, getting away from them. But 
come on, man. I can't watch this guy again. Did you, did anyone watch that Jets game? Like, it was a good game for him statistically, but, oh, it was horrible to watch. This is not football. That last drive and that last 50-yard run really kind of uh, saved the saved the box score there. Yeah, sure. so just for my sake, please no. I, I'm rooting for the Bucks. I don't root for Tom Brady a lot, but this time I'm rooting for him. <laughs> please end this madness. Dude, that, that, that's a really good observation, though, that you guys are pointing out. Because, yeah, every time you watch Taysom like that, that quick, not even, I wouldn't say quick twitch, but that how quickly you can go 0 to 80 with him, it takes him a yeah. really long time, especially on those sweet plays. That's really interesting. But I'm selling it. I, I'm buying the idea that this will be a discussion in 2022. Yeah. Like that, Ben, like, Ben, that, that's going to happen. Like, wh- whether Taysom gets his money or not, it's going to be a discussion. It's right. It's a funny money contract, but it, there's enough there to be certain that they're going to at least do the farce, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to, like, do the bit again. And I think that if he beats if he beats the Bucks, there's no way people don't buy the bit again. People are going to keep chomping at this hook no matter how many times it's a plastic worm. But that's what it is, man. And and this Saints team has the Bucks number. They've had the Bucks number with Brady. I think defensively they've had it. And I, I would not be surprised if the Saints win this I'm one. not ruling it out, like, the 2022 thing. I mean, Sean Payton started Taysom Hill last year when I did not expect him to do it. He gave him this new contract this year when I did not expect that to happen. He convinced right. Netflix to make a, a lighthearted. <laughs> I was about to say, that was Kevin James <laughs> making those decisions. Quirky view of, of Bounty Gate. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not taking anything <laughs> off the table in regards to Sean Payton. So no, but I mean, Dennis Allen does seem to have this offense's number, so I'm not ruling out a Bucks win either. Steven, actual must-win game of the week. Uh, this one belongs to Bengals at Broncos. Oh, the Bengals' second appearance in a must-win game in consecutive weeks, uh, which I guess kind of defaults the idea of must-win a little bit. But here we are with Cincinnati still pushing in the AFC North. Why are they on must-win? We're not consistent here. At, uh, yeah, this is not real. Every game is a must-win. <laughs> but I, I'm picking them as the must-win because they need to win. The, they're, right now, if they lose this game, their playoff odds drop down to 14%. I think they're at 29 right now with a win that goes up to 49%, goes down to 14 with a loss. But honestly, it's just the might be the only game they can win on the schedule left over, depending on what happens with the Browns over the next couple of weeks. And that's a Browns team that already crushed this team. What was it in November? But they get the Ravens after this. The Ravens are still kind of iffy, but Lamar should be back by then. They get the Chiefs after that. The Chiefs look to be like their former selves. So this is it. They need to win this game. And I think this is a must win for Zach Taylor to keep his job because this Broncos defense is one that we've seen be exploited before, especially in the run game. If you're a good offensive coach should take advantage of this Broncos defense and how like their personnel deficiencies right now. And if Zach Taylor isn't able to do that and it's once again, Hey Joe, it's we're down in the fourth quarter. Let's just spread things out and you play hero ball and try to get us back into it. If you keep seeing that every week at a certain point, you got to be like, this is not a good coach and we're not putting Joe Burrow in the best opportunity or the best situation to succeed. And that's that's the main thing the Bengals have to worry about right now, like making sure everything is right around Joe Burrow. I will never forgive Zach Taylor for the immediately the game after I said, I think he's getting better. I think it'd be nice if they made a playoff run and helped him learn. He attempts multiple field goals on very short fourth downs inside the 10-yard line and loses the game because of those field goal mm. attempts at Brandon Staley doubting mm. people. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. 
Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Real quick, just because it, it, it broke and it's important, uh, the Chargers social just tweeted out an update on Donald Parham, uh, the tight end who was injured early in the game. Uh, stayed overnight at UCLA, Har- UCLA Harbor Medical Center for observation after being diagnosed with a concussion. He is resting comfortably, alert, and will likely be discharged from the hospital later today. So really good news on the Donald Parham front. I'm very happy to Ben, there's some other breaking news. I don't know if you just saw it, but... Uh oh, and it's a smile and it's a laugh. Uh, it's so not. It's all. It's not a smile and laugh. Oh shit! I'm gonna sound oh, like an okay. asshole. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, Saints head coach Sean Payton has tested positive for COVID nineteen. Oh my goodness! So. <laughs> this is what I, I said this to our producers. I said preview show. We're gonna do it, and there's just gonna be more COVID, and it's impossible to anticipate anything. Uh, I would like to take back everything i said about the saints potentially winning the game yeah. against the bucks <laughs> have kevin james coach the team <laughs> have kevin james coach the- he has the visor he's ready all right we're gonna move forward into our next uh game which needs games this is a seahawks at rams which is another sunday game kaylin this is a spoiler alert from you oh got spoiler alert the rams are gonna win the nfc west what? yeah they're gonna they're gonna win the nfc west the cardinals so far at three and three at home um i know that they lost deandre hopkins like that i would have I was going with this even before that injury happened, but you know, you look at the schedule for them and I know this doesn't have to do with the Rams necessarily. They've got the lions. Um, they've, then they face the Colts at home, the Cowboys, and then the Seahawks at home. I don't see them going better than two and two over that stretch. I know that there's teams that they are theoretically better than, but, um, having spent four years living in Arizona, um, and knowing a lot of Arizona fans, uh, y'all love misery and a lot of unluckiness. So that's not to any fault of the Cardinals zone. I know that Rodney Hudson um, is going to be out this week. Um, again, like there's been a lot of key injuries, but you know, for as good as they've looked this year, um, I think that they're going to, the, you know, kind of downfall down the stretch. And this is the funny thing because, you know, I, I heard from someone that, you know, potentially the Rams and Seahawks could be moved to Monday, Tuesday. Um, that hasn't been, you know, officialized or official yet in the league. You know, they're going to try and go through with the game regardless again because they've already set the precedent for doing so. But that being said, like, I-, I wouldn't be shocked even if a shorthanded Rams team found a way to beat this kind of like overmatched right. Seahawks team because they haven't been playing too well either. I haven't seen, you know, the consistency from Russell Wilson that I've expected to this year. And I think that the Rams as a team, you know, even without some of those star players, it feels like, you know, they're starting to round the form. And uh, that Monday night victory was really convincing for them to do what they did without Ramsey, without Higby, uh, without Robert Woods, like the way that they've looked 
you know, for the past few weeks, I've been very impressed, and I think that they're going to be able to continue this form going down the stretch. Yeah, the uh, the Rams, baby. Roll roll the dice. You get a one through a five, Matt Stafford's good, and you're going to win a game. Get a six, <laughs> Matt Stafford, bad game. And you're just you're <laughs> up the creek without a paddle. Uh, Cardinals, man. Uh, so, obviously, right, they have uh, this, this game against Detroit. They have Indianapolis then in Week 16 and Dallas in Week 17. It's not an easy road it really isn't and that dallas game by the way is i learned uh today the game between the two top defenses in epa per play which man if you told me to start the season cardinals cowboys in week 16 just a big defensive battle i would not have believed you decisively but lo and behold here we are oh you didn't have faith in dan quinn and vance joseph two very successful head Shout coaches out vance joseph figuring out like hey if i just take my third down defense just call it all the time <laughs> we're gonna be good <laughs> like let's just do it baby they blitz more on for early downs than they do on third down which is just a ridiculous stat to me it's so funny. all right our final game with these games is uh falcons at 49ers uh the kyle shanahan matt ryan revenge game uh always a fun one there i do want to give another buying or selling for this one which is that given how he has played and given what he has shown the San Francisco 49ers get a first-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo in trade before the 2022 season, buying or selling. My instinct is to sell. It's a bad quarterback class, and a lot of teams are going to try to get Rodgers and miss. No, but let me finish the sentence. My instinct is to sell, but being a Panthers fan, I can already predict that the Panthers are <laughs> going to be the team that gives up the first-round pick, and they're going to end my life. Like That's going to be the end of me. I'm just going to cease to exist when that happens. But, yeah... I'm not going to sell this because we've seen NFL teams give up first-round picks for worse quarterbacks. We've seen them give up first-round picks for Sam Bradford, like late-career Sam Bradford. So, no, I'm not selling this. I think a team is going to be dumb enough to do this. I'm going to sell it, but only because I'm going to bet that a team is smart enough, or the NFL is smart enough to not take the bait here, or at least in best. It is way too much faith. All right, we've got give me a reason left, which is the final six games on the docket in which uh, I try to give Steven and Kalen a reason to watch these very bad games, uh, and they tell me whether or not it's good enough. I've had a really bad couple of weeks. It's not going to get better. I thought this was going to be more fun later in the season. It turns out it isn't. It's really difficult. Uh, so six games on the docket, a lot of COVID inavailabilities in this one as well. What would we like to start with? Let's do Titans and Steelers. Titans and Steelers. This is an extremely silly game. Uh, you have the Titans, who are as physical of a team as it gets, against the Steelers, which are as soft as a team as it gets on defense, apparently, which is very peculiar for the Steelers, but they absolutely cannot stop the run. Uh, Titans have been running the ball a little bit better as well with Donta Foreman recently down the stretch and are expecting Derrick Henry to potentially come back for the playoffs. That's an important thing to remember. So my best sell for this game is, is if the Titans win it, they pretty much lock in the fact that they're going to be one of the top two seeds in the AFC. So watch this game to watch mini Derrick Henry, Donta Foreman, foretell and, and, and forerun the arrival of Derrick Henry and prepare for the Super Bowl run that will be powered by Derrick Henry, who I totally forgot will be like he can't come back this year. And that if the Titans are like in the playoffs, that's an actual legitimate thing. Also, A.J. Brown back. Also, Julio Jones back. I personally, honestly, still think the Steelers win this game. But watch to watch the Titans round back into Titans form down the stretch. No, no, I'm going to watch this game, and I'm going to do so for the reasons you laid out. I think this is the game where we could watch this and decide, do we have to care about this team going forward? Or are they a right. team that we could just dismiss as like an also-ran in the AFC? I think that is a very good point. I was of the opinion that the Titans were frauds before Derrick Henry's injury took him out. 
So I'm still kind of low on this team. But if they beat the Steelers convincingly, then maybe I'm willing to reconsider that. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch it too for the same exact reason. Like, you, you know, you're watching to see whether or not, you know, two teams who have been teetering between fraudulent and legitimate, um, you know, which one is going to come out here. And especially for the Titans, man, like if they don't look like great in this matchup, then I'm again, not going to be on Titans Island just yet. I'm just dreading like the, the takes based on whoever wins this. It's going to be like, Oh, well, watch out for this team in the AFC. They might be better than you think. It's just like, no, like one of these if teams the, has to yeah. win the game. If the, if the Steelers win it, their path, especially with an injured Lamar to winning the AFC North, all of a sudden becomes like weirdly not small which I think is fascinating and also a little bit hysterical. They were down 29 nothing like a week yep. and a half ago. And almost brought it back, baby. All right, five games left. What would we like? Uh, give us football team and the Eagles. Listen, I, I tried this out with Jake Fromm last week. I'm going back to the well. The Washington football team has wild COVID inavailabilities right now. It was recently just reported that both quarterback Taylor Heineke and backup quarterback Kyle Allen are on a list that includes Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis, uh, Derek Forrest, Cornelius Lucas, Cam Sims, William Bradley King, Kendall Fuller, Tim Settle, Kaliki Hudson, James Williams, Montez Sweat, Casey Tuhill, Cameron Curl, Keith Ismail, Tyler Larson, etc., etc. Washington is devastated right now with COVID, and they are probably still going to make this team play the game, which means that the starting quarterback for the Washington football team will be one Garrett Gilbert, who you may famously remember as Colorado State third round pick in the 2016 NFL draft. I'm pretty sure he was the third quarterback after uh, 2015. He would have been the third quarterback after Mariota and Winston. I'm like 69% sure about that. But regardless, uh, it looks like Garrett Gilbert backed up by Kyle Shermer and Jordan Ta'amu. So again, if you, if you, if you enjoyed the Kendall Hinton game last year and you were like, man, I really wish I could see that again, Garrett Gilbert literally got in the building 24 hours ago and he's about to start on a Sunday. Let's see just how bad this can get. I, I watched the Kendall uh, Hinton game last year or whatever his name is, and I did not enjoy it, so I will not be watching this game. Bad sell. Yeah. No, and he buzzer. actually didn't play quarterback. Garrett Gilbert does. <laughs> eh, debatable. <laughs> Roughly. I'm going to give you a buzzer here too, unfortunately, Ben. Um, yes. I know you, you could have appealed to me for, you know, I used to cover Texas, man. Garrett Gilbert played at UT. I know that Texas fans still love him. So Was he? Oh, was he at UT before Colorado State? Or he transferred? This is Garrett Gilbert from SMU. It's In my SMU, head, he's right? the Colorado yeah, State. SMU. Oh, SMU. he's SMU. Who am I thinking? Who's the Colorado State guy? I, t I know who you're talking about, too. He's a third he's round a pick. Grayson. Grayson, right? Something uh, Grayson? Yes. Grayson. Oh, they all start with G, and they got like seven letters. Those are generally equivalent people. I apologize. <laughs> Same guy. You can't, you can't <laughs> tell me guy, Garrett yeah. Gilbert and, and I, what's, what's Grayson's first name? Garrett Grayson, yes, isn't it? Garrett Grayson and Garrett Gilbert. This, this should not be allowed that these two people play the same position. Only one should be able to exist in the NFL. That's too much. All right, next game. What would we like? Uh, let's go with the worst game I could possibly think of. Jaguars-Texans. Listen, it is Bastille Day. The revolutionaries have stormed the castle. All right? The tyrant has been overthrown. How is this the worst game you can think of? Urban renewal, baby. Urban, our urban revival. We are no, no more urban decay segments for the rest of all time. The that was the only reason we came back to the Jaguars was because of Urban, and now he's gone. Watch the revolutionaries sing on the crumbles of the of the uh, of the, the the objects of tyranny cast aside and destroyed. 
This is, I, I, listen, this is the Jaguars fired their head coach and went up two points in the Vegas spread. This is a better team than it was. Watch a team, ha- watch, this is the first time you ever all season get to watch the Jaguars have good vibes. Like they're going to do a thing and then like look at each other and like high five and be happy about it. Like remember when they beat the Bills and none of us were like, yay? We were all like, ah, oh, that's gross. We finally, like, Daryl Bevel's out here chortling when reporters at tell him that he might win more games than Urban did. And Daryl's just like openly smirking about that at the podium. This is, these are people vindicated. The shackles have been broken. The, the onus has been lifted. Watch the Jaguars because it's happy and fun again. It, the over-under is 39. And my point of comparison for that is the game where the Browns are missing half the roster, the over-under is 38. Listen, Trevor Lawrence, freed from the tyrants, baby. He's going to be good. He's going to be happy. Okay. I'll watch Trevor's dropbacks after the game, but I'm not watching this slop game. No, oh. I'm sorry. Buzzer. I'm going to give you a you. ding. Yeah, no, you got yes. me. I'm, you got a ding. You miss James Robinson, though. I, I was looking forward to the free James Robinson movie. True. Like, yes, that, James that's Robinson. Exciting. Released from prison. One of the first. Uh, like Marvin Jones might get, like, you know, like actually make a catch for fun, right? Like, you know. No, I think they should fire Marvin Jones, too, based on the film I've watched this year. I just can't wait for Daryl Bevel to have to, like, send in the kicker for the game-winning kick and to, like, tap him on the shoulder and be like, do a good job, buddy. And we'll all be like, oh, yeah, coaching. That's how that looks. Yeah, but then what if he misses and then you're like, well, maybe Bevel was a little too soft on Stop him. Stop it. All right. <laughs> Next game, what would you like? Uh, Give us Jets and Dolphins. Listen, the best angle here was Jalen Waddle. I had a whole thing for Jalen, like watch Jalen Waddle, rookie reception, record, right? Like, you know, it's the whole, he's the whole thing for Tua's offense, and he's out. Uh, I, wa- I, I really wanted to do an Elijah Moore segment for the last two weeks. He just got placed on IR. Michael Carter's back. If you're a real big, big Michael Carter fan, uh, Jets fans really let me know as well that I can't evaluate their quarterback unless Michael Carter's in there, their fourth-round rookie running back. So uh, this is truly the fan bases that have pissed it off. Ben that Ben has pissed off bowl uh but the injuries and the inavailabilities make it really really sad in terms of offensive firepower the best thing I can give to you is appealing to Steven's more malignant sensibilities and say watch the Dolphins blitz the ever-living daylight I was waiting for it and just devastate the young man for four quarters the whole time you were talking I was like is he gonna say it in the back of my mind and then you said it so I'm gonna give you I have to give you a ding and I have to give you a ding because it's a lose-lose yep. for you Either Zach Wilson is winning or Tua is winning. And if Tua wins, he's probably going to look pretty good doing it against the Jets. I'm going to be liking some tweets going at you just to, just to keep you on your toes. Just keep you honest. At least one fan base is going to be able to, to pick on me a little bit. After I spent the whole week telling Chiefs fans they were going to get beat and then the Chargers couldn't convert one freaking fourth down. Anyway, Kalen? Uh, I'm going to give you a buzzer, but it's not, not on you. Like you said, yeah. Waddle's not there. Um, Zach Wilson has been... Not great, and you detailed that really well, by the way. Check them out, Ben's piece on theringer.com. Um, but, yeah, this I'll watch the condensed version. Kalen is the lawful neutral of the group. He actually, like, evaluates whether or not I say a good thing, and then he's a buzzer or a ding, where Steven's just pure chaotic evil. Oh, just, sub, sometimes. Yeah. I lean yeah. chaotic evil yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Cardinals, Lions. I'll be honest, Steven, I'm doing the exact same thing here. Uh, so Cliff Kingsbury said, in uh, uh, availability today, I'm trying to bring up, azcentral.com had this uh, quote, we haven't beaten Jared Goff since I've been here. And I think he's a really talented quarterback and he's building with that team, which firstly, Cliff, <laughs> let's not admit that baby. Let's not, let's not be saying these things in public. There's no need to be like, yeah, I've never beaten Jared Goff in my career. We don't got to be saying that out loud. But as I brought up, 
the Cardinals are second in drop back EPA per play allowed at negative 0.1. They're fourth in blitz rate. And as Steven said, they blitz a ton on first downs. Uh, so Cliff clearly harboring some ill as of having never beaten Jared Goff. Uh, and now he gets his Cardinals defense against a Lions team that just lost TJ Hawkinson for the season. Uh, I would say watch this game because apparently Cliff has a vendetta that he's about to spell out on Jared Goff of all people. I did not realize we were getting a Cliff Kingsbury revenge game against Jared Goff of all people. Why would you say that out loud, Cliff Kingsbury? I know. Why are you admitting these things? That's the end of his coach of the year campaign right there saying that. They should fire <laughs> him. They should have fired him right when he said that. Right when he. Oh, that's a good point. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now I'm going to watch because I want to see Vance Joseph do horrible things to Jared Goff. I'm going to give you a ding. There we go. I, I get it, though. Like. Can you imagine how pissed off Cliff Kingsbury's got to be watching Jared Goff beat him, like, throughout his career? Like, I get it. I get it. Like, and he said, like, he's a good quarterback and he's building it there, but there's no way Cliff didn't watch the Goff film this week and go. You have to say he's a good quarterback after you say he's beaten you every time you play, too. You can't be like, oh, yeah, he sucks, but we've never beaten Which him. Which just goes to show you how important that, that Stafford win against the Cardinals was last week. But anyway, final game that I have here on my docket is Panthers at Bills. Um... I had a great sell for this one, which was the whole, like, do you miss the 2020 Bears? Do you miss hoping that Mitchell Trubisky plays kind of well for a team that's around 500 hoping to make the playoffs? Uh, but then uh, Sean McDermott came out later during our show and said that uh, Allen it was a full participant in practice on Friday. Both the medical staff and the coaches kind of watching him feel confident that he can go and play. So the, the Bills dodged the our playoff hopes ride on Mitchell Trubisky bullet for this week, which is tremendous news. So I guess really the best thing is uh, watch the Panthers because it makes Steven sad. Yeah, that's. I'm not going to watch this. I'm, this is going to be the first Cam Newton start that I don't watch. I, d- I don't need to is see Is he starting? This. Are we sure? Are we sure it's not P.J. Walker? Sorry, maybe Sam Darnold. He's going to get put back in the rotation. I don't know if you heard. Uh, they're going to do that now. <laughs> it depends on what the state of the game. If it's two-minute drill when the, the first Panthers drive, then P.J. comes in. I don't know if the sun's out, then it's Darnold. If I don't know what's going on. My pitch would have been get your, what is it, third to last opportunity to watch Matt Rule coach an NFL game. Yeah, you, you, you wish, Chief. I got bad news for you on that front. No, I'm not watching this game, if, if that wasn't clear. I'm going to give you a ding because that, that was yeah, great, great sell going at Steven. That's the first. I, don't, right. I can't remember throughout the season. That might be the first time you've gone directly at Steven. And also – right after – Setting him up with the Jared Goff and the Zach exactly, Wilson yeah, exactly. There you go. Look, that was great. That was yeah, a good. No, sell. no, it's fair. It was a fair pitch. Also, I, I like the pitch. I'm surprised he didn't go with the Bills. Like the whole Bills roster is basically former Panthers. Like the wow, assistant yeah. coaches, the front. <laughs> office. It's like it's a revenge game. I, uh, no, there was no revenge game graphic this week, which Anthony doesn't work yeah, for me. Yeah, but that was that. That did hurt me a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, with how much I use the I use the stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I just, oh man, I had a whole Trubisky script. Maybe we'll get that next week. We'll see. Regardless, that is us for the Friday show previewing your upcoming weekend of NFL action. Steven and I, as always, are back on the Sunday evening, Monday morning show with Nora and Kevin breaking down all the action that we saw across the course of the weekend. Kalen will be back with us on the Friday show as per usual. And you, you moonlighted on the Thursday show as well this week, and it was pretty good. Talked about the Rams. I did, so sure I go did. And listen to that. Uh, thank you, as always, for our man behind the curtain. That's Chris Sutton for his production assistance and for Arjuna Ramgapol, his man behind the curtain, for additional production overwatch. We will be back, same time, same place, next week. 